It was incredible. So Bruce is in Wisconsin right now um, teaching, and last night in Wisconsin, he, he, was gonna, he was prepared to teach on something, and God told him to scrap his teaching, and that he was to teach on fear. And I'm saying, oh, I hope God never does that to me. But, <laughs> but he's doing fine, and we're actually warmer here than it's there. Okay, so this is Valentine's Day, and we all talk a lot about love. And here is the book of Romans, 1 to 11. Bruce talked about this last week. Chapter 1 and 11 is all about doctrine, all about teachings, all about the values of the kingdom. And Paul's saying, these are these wonderful values of the kingdom, justification by faith and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. But then, starting in 12, he makes it very practical. And he said, well, what does that look like? You see, if you're in a, no matter what your family is when you're growing up, that becomes normal to you. And you think that's normal. Um, for instance, we, have, we know a married couple. They really love the Lord a lot, but when they fight, they don't go in this church, into this church. I'm not preaching about somebody that you know. Um, but when they fight... They scream and yell top lungs at them, at each other. And it's because both of them have come from homes where they do that. So that's normal to them. That's not normal Christian life, but it's normal to them. And we all have some things like that. And so for, for people, people like me, a family of origin, I don't know what love looks like. I need to have the practical instruction, this is what love looks like, so that I can learn and grow in it. You know, um, I think love's a very vague word in our society. I mean, I, I, love, I love Bruce, and I love my grandkids, I love my children, I love my dogs. I love how you look today. Um, you know, I, I love this, I love that. We use love all the time to mean a lot of different things. But what does sincere love look like? You know, when Bruce and I first met each other, we met at Dickinson College, and he was walking down the street, and I was walking up the street, and we met. We talked about five minutes. But I believe, we both believe in love at first sight. He was a senior, and I was a freshman, and I was probably flattered that a senior would even be willing to talk to me, but I thought he was so incredibly handsome, and yes, he was going bald. And I thought he was incredibly handsome. And he went home and told his, the people he was living with that he had met the person he wanted to spend the rest of his life with. Now, he was, and I can't begin to tell you what he was like as an unbeliever. You would not want to know about what he was like. But he had lots of girlfriends. So that was like a miracle in itself. When I met him, I thought I wanted to spend also the rest of my life with him, and I broke up with my boyfriend of three years immediately. And we were pre-engaged. We were going to get married soon. So anyway, that's, that was our idea of love at that point. Now, I would say that, lasted, that feeling of love lasted about two weeks before we started having <laughs> hard times, and I really annoyed him, and he really annoyed me. I feel like now, over the years, my definition of love has changed. And I, I have a very different idea of what love looks like. So today's section is Romans 12, 9 through 11. 
Um, put your seatbelt on. It's, there are 24 commands here. It, and it, they're short sentences. It's like boom, 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 boom. And when I, I mean, I've been soaking myself in these verses now for a few weeks and thinking, how in the world do you teach about so many verses in, you know, in 30 minutes? Um, one thing I do want to say that Paul, you'll see here that Paul doesn't care so much that we have warm, fuzzy feelings about people. He doesn't. He cares about what we do. And in fact, the early church, I doubt they ever talked about warm, fuzzy feelings. It was about what you did to the other person that was love. So understand, that's Paul's perspective. I think that's God's perspective, too, because something unusual happens when you behave lovingly towards another person. Now, they might not change, but the chances of them changing, love is powerful. You talk about a powerful weapon. I don't mean weapon, weapon, but something that's powerful to change another person. Love does that. And so when we love another person, we've got a real good chance that they're going to change. It's an amazing thing. So we're going to start. I'm, gonna, I, I'm not going to tell you 24 commands. What I did was group them into seven commands because a lot of them can go together. And there are two parts, very distinct parts, in these verses. So let's start with verse 9 and sincere love. The beginning of that, let love be without hypocrisy. Now, what that really means is sincere love is without hypocrisy. And hypocrisy basically means don't be an actor. But it's not how we think about it. A lot of times when we do counseling and we ask a husband and a wife to just meet each other's needs, like whether you like the person or not, just like if that person likes notes or flowers, do it. Whether you like the person or not, just do it. And it changes things. It just changes things. Now, some people think that's hypocritical. Well, I don't like the person. Why should I do that? Okay. Well, Paul's saying being an actor is saying you love people but never doing anything for them, never doing anything. Love isn't this real light word. Love is an action. So if I tell you I love you but there's no actions to back that up, I'm probably being an actor. Do you get that? That is what Paul's saying there. Abhor what is evil, that's a really strong word, abhor. Um, It means a violent hatred of evil. Violent. You see, in in the next verse, next section is cling to what is good. Paul's saying that you can't just cling to what is good unless you have a hatred of evil. There has to be both there. It can't be the tolerant Many of us have been brought up in a lot of tolerance. Now, I'm not talking about people here. I'm talking about evil. We are to abhor evil, run from it, and cling to the good. Now, cling there. Cling is the word they use for, it's a marriage verse in there. You're supposed to leave your spouse and cling to the other person. The word is kolome. It means, in the Greek, it means to be wedded. It means to be glued So as believers, we're to be glued to the good. 
glued to it, which means whatever is going on in your life, you're glued to what God is saying. You're glued to that. And you're not, you're abhorring the bad things. You're just running from them, but you're glued to the good. It reminds me of that verse in Philippians, oh, is it 4, 6, 4, 8? 4, 8. I think it's 4, 8. Where we're to focus as believers, we're to focus on the good, on the noble, on the respectful, whatever is praiseworthy. Um, we're supposed to focus on that. It's the same thing. We're supposed to cling to the good. Um, and then he goes on to say, Romans 12:10. Next verse. No, verse 10. Next one, please. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. Now, I didn't say this before. This first section is committed to uh, to Paul telling us how to live together as believers. This section is committed to believers. So as believers, um, we're supposed to have this Family love. You know, the word in here is philadelphos, which is family love, devoted to each other. And, you know, I I miss the time when we first became believers, everybody called each other brother and sister. It it seems like it's old-fashioned now. But I love that. I love that. Coming from a family where I don't feel familyed at times, I am really familyed with believers. I really am familyed. I have brothers and sisters that I feel very deeply about. And if it weren't for you all, I would never have been familyed or know what that looks like. So, so then Paul's saying, be family. Be family. Be a good family. Be a family to each other and honor each other. The word honor is very weighty. It's very weighty. It's, as, it's something that's heavy. So when you honor someone, you're actually giving them something. It means really be on the lookout for the achievements that people, the other believers around you do. And speak up about it. You know, we tend to do the opposite. We tend not to really praise people when they've done something well. And you know, if you're looking for it, you can find a lot in people to praise And so he's saying, do that. Praise each other. Honor each other. Say something when they've they've achieved them or when they're struggling and they're doing a good job. Praise them. Um, You know, if you're a competitive person and America's all about being competitive, you can be competitive in this. Be the best honoring person to other people that you can be. It's a great way to use competition. Um, The actual word honor each other means lead the way for others to be honored. So let's be honored in this. Let's be let's be let's lead let's be leaders in this honoring. You know, and and, you know, this whole thing, abhor evil. Um it's this is about us. You know, he says it to believers. He says it to us. It's not about oh, you know, the bad people over there and the bad people. It's, he's talking to us. He said, abhor evil. When we hear that, when we read that, he's actually saying to us as believers, abhor evil. In other words, we're the problem. Do you see what I'm saying? It's us that we have to be careful. I'll give you a quick example. 
This morning, we had a um, testimony at 9. Um, we had done something last week where, um, where Sue Heisler... Oh, I don't want to say this all loud. Well, I can say this. Sue Heisler had a tear in her retina. And she was... We took time for people to gather around her during the meeting and pray for her. She was instantly healed. She went to... I know. That's wonderful. But now I'm not going to... I'm going to tell you something not so good about me. Okay? I heard... I'm very happy for Sue. That wasn't the problem. I also had a torn retina um, uh, two years ago. And I prayed about it and prayed about it. And other people prayed for me. Um, and I had to have the surgery. And I didn't get healed that way. But I got healed through surgery. And I'm fine. My first thought was, why couldn't God have done that for me? And then I thought, aha, that's an evil thought. That's a really wrong thought. And I just pulled it out and said, well, I'm going to stomp on it. It's not, it's not going to be a thought that I, you know, that I keep. And so that's what I mean. Like, we have to abhor evil in us. Because this is written to believers. You know, and it's not talking about... I don't think it's talking about all the sin we see in the world. I think it's talking about us, that evil can come on us. Okay. Um, So, he gives all these verses, and I think... This is my opinion. I haven't read this in any commentary, so you'll have to bear with me. Paul was an extremely disciplined man. I mean, he had come from that background. He was good at being disciplined. And I think he's giving these commands out to do this, be devoted, be honorable, be, give honor to people. And he's doing all this, and he goes, wait a minute. I'm giving people the wrong idea. Like, everybody can just do these commands. And so he backtracks a little bit. I don't know how else to explain these next verses in here, but I'm going to read you these, this 11, verse 11 and 12, Romans 12, 11 and 12, from the Passion Translation. Now listen, let me tell you something. I've had a frustration for years that when we read our English translations of the, of the Greek and the Hebrew, that the words aren't nearly as passionate as what the Greek and the Hebrew means. And so that's frustrated me to the point that I decided at one point that I'm going to do my own translation. The problem with that, I don't, I don't know Greek and I don't know Hebrew. So it hasn't happened. But this passion, they translated from the Aramaic. And it is passionate and it captures what the words really mean. Now, okay. Be enthusiastic to serve the Lord. And that means, that doesn't mean serve the Lord, go on a mission trip. That means to serve the Lord. It's what we do when we worship. We're serving the Lord. Keeping your passion toward him, boiling hot, radiate with the glow of the Holy Spirit and let him fill you with excitement as you serve him. He's saying, let's take a a step back here. You can't do these commands. What, what allows you to do them is my Holy Spirit. And he says, the only responsibility you have is to take things to the Lord and, and soak in him and, and worship him and come together in church and just love each other and just let, let these things happen in you. That's what he's saying here. I love this because the actual word 
Um, it's in the English, I think, in many translations, is be fervent. It's a word we don't even use very often, fervent. But what that word means, means to be, um, actually it's white hot, which is the hottest part of a flame, boiling, boiling in your enthusiasm, your passion toward him. Wow. And see, when you do that, when you do that, look at verse 12. Let this hope burst forth within you. See, we have an ability to either stop that joy from bursting within us or letting it happen, right? Releasing a continual joy. Don't give up in time of trouble, but commune with God at all times. So how do we love each other? We first need this relationship with God who by his Holy Spirit causes it, causes it to happen. So, this, these verses are saying, be boiling hot in your relationship with God, persevere through hard times, and be devoted to prayer. In other words, be talking to God. He's the good place to, believe. I really know this. I, if I'm bitter, upset, hurt, feeling rejected, whatever, he's a great listener. And I can talk to him a lot about those kind of things. It doesn't bother him. He knows it anyway. It's not like I'm surprising him. And then he changes me. He just does. Okay, and out of this kind of thing flows verse 13. Next one, please. Okay. Take a constant interest in the needs of God's people and respond by helping them and eagerly welcome people as guests into your home. Out of this comes helping to meet people's needs practically, And practicing hospitality. Now, what you don't get from the English here is one of the words that is used is kononia. And back in in the early church, they knew that they had something remarkable in their community. They knew it. Now, this was a culture that honestly knew what hospitality was all about. I mean, they knew how to have friendships and closeness, but it wasn't what, this was much more than that. It was, it was Greeks and Jews together. It was all different economic levels. It wasn't just about family or friends. It was, all the walls were broken down. And they knew that it was so rare what they had. They tried to figure out, they had the same problem that I have sometimes with the English. They couldn't find a word to describe what this is. Kononia was not a word in their language at that point. So they dug around, and they found an old word, old, that was totally out of use, and they said, this is that. And it means, I mean, I can't even put in English what it means, but a close family unity, friendship, fellowship, kononia. Rats, I can't remember if I said something. Did I tell them about sisters and brothers in here? I did? Okay. Yeah, I said, did say that. Okay. Okay, the word hospitality there. The word actually has a word in it, pursue it. You're supposed to pursue hospitality. There's something important about opening up your house. There's some, as Natasha talked about it today, you opened up your house, you had an incredible time. But if you had chosen not to open up your house, you would not have had that time that, that, time that you did because no other venue will do that, right? That's why small groups are so very, very important. 
Okay, so we're to pursue it. Okay, I need to speed along to the second part. How to show love to unbelievers. Now, once again, I put several verses together. Good. Bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. Never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see that you are honorable. Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. Instead, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If, you are, if they are thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals of shame on their heads. Well, this is getting real personal because we all were enemies at one point. And what did Jesus do? What did God do? How did he deal with us? Did he smite us? Did he throw us off the side of the earth? What did he do? He loved us. It was read today. Judy read it. Um, He gave his only son so that we would know his love. And that is exactly the same tactics we're to use with our enemies. We are to love. There there is no wiggle room here. Paul is um, actually quoting Jesus in in many of these things. There's no, in the kingdom, there's no retaliation and no revenge. And, you know, I'm probably not, if I, I mean, I know I'm not, when, when I'm feeling rejected, I'm probably not going to go poison someone or do anything like that. But, but I could give a cold shoulder, right? I mean, it means so many things. You treat your enemy really as you would treat those people that are part of your Kononia group. That's how you treat them. I think it's, it's a hard thing. I, I don't think it's possible without God. I don't think you can just say, I'm going to do this. But with God, it is incredibly... It's also trusting that God is a better judge than I am. He knows what he's doing. And just in my case, I wish I hadn't wasted a lot of time being bitter about my family because he knows what he's doing. You see? He knows what he's doing. Um... You think about the Lord on the cross, and he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And, and Stephen, when he was being stoned, and Paul was there, which is pretty incredible. Paul was there as an unbeliever and a violent man at that point. He said, Lord, do not hold this sin against him. I mean, these are, these are amazing prayers by believers. But we're asked to do more than to not take revenge. It's not just a negative. We're not supposed to just stop saying We're to bless people. Bless. Now that means in very practical ways we are to bless people. Don't you think it would be fun to sit around with a group of people and come up with amazing ways that we could bless people that we consider our enemies? Seriously, wouldn't that be fun? I would love to be part of that group. So so these are Paul's idea of how to take care of the enemy. Feed them and very practical feed and drink and all that. But If you look at Paul's quote, go to the next verse. Okay, if your enemies, he's quoting Proverbs here, Paul is. If your enemies are hungry, give them food to eat. If they're thirsty, give them water to drink. You will will heap burning coals of shame on their heads, and the Lord will reward you. You know, I've always seen this as kind of a sneaky way to get revenge. You're just nice, and then God's going to smite them. That is not what it means. It... 
two stories I found, short stories I found in commentaries. I don't know which is true. I don't know. But we know God is a kind, loving God. And this isn't how God treated us, right? We all know that. He didn't treat us this way. So um, it comes from an ancient Egyptian custom. Um, When a person in a village wanted to show he was sorry for something, he would put coals on his head and, and walk around the village to show that he was ashamed and wanted to make restitution. That's one, of, that's one idea. The second idea also comes from ancient Egyptian customs. Um, in a village, not all people, not all families were able to make their own fire. So <clears throat> whoever could would make a fire and put the coals on their heads and they would walk around the village giving those coals. And I like that one better because I think what it shows is as we are kind to someone and as we start pulling them into a new world, not sucking them into more evil, which if you were bad back, that's what it would be doing for you and for that person, but bringing them into the kingdom reality by being kind and loving to them, it actually brings warmth to them And they feel your compassion. And yes, it brings them to shame that they treated you like that and they become part of what you're part of. Does that make sense? It's a hard hard verse. But I'm going to ask Kelly to come up to tell a story um, that you will like. (laughs) Several years ago, Uh, when I was working at AstraZeneca, I got moved into, I bid into a manufacturing department. And I was working with three other ladies. I knew one, and I was friends with the one person, but the other two I had never worked with before. Well, instantly, the one woman took a total dislike to me. She hated me. She hated the air I breathed, the ground I walked on. She hated everything about me. I cannot express how much hate and anger she had towards me. And I never understood why. In fact, she actually had tried to get me in trouble with supervision. She called them and complained about my work. Um, They didn't listen to her. They just brushed it off. Thank God for that. And it got to the point where I would go home almost every day in tears. And when it came time to go to work, as if getting up and going to work isn't hard enough, I knew I had to get up and go to work and face this woman again. And this went on for some time. I know it was well over a year, maybe even longer, that I had to do this. Well, then a project came up, and she was involved in the project. And that day they wanted to videotape someone tearing a a piece of equipment apart, cleaning it, and putting it back together. Well, like I said, she was part of the project, and the person doing that equipment was me. And I did not want to be videotaped. Really, nothing against her. I just did not want to be videotaped doing that. So we were in a little locker room, and I expressed myself and asking, could I get out of this? You know, I didn't want to do it. Well, she got so angry that she stepped back, and she took her hand, and she went to lunge at me when somebody stuck out their arm, and stopped her from hitting me. And later that day, there was witnesses. Later that day, two of the girls came to me and said, why don't you go to supervision? 
why don't you go to human resources? And I said, I can't do that. I said, because that woman is single, and she has children, and I just would not feel right being responsible for someone losing their job. I said, I just, I just cannot do that. And actually, they went to supervision and human resources and came back to me and told me, you know, you're the one that has to make the complaint. And once again, I said, I can't do that. So the next day, I was in uh, my work area, and I was by myself at that moment. My supervisor came in, and he says, Kelly, is there something you want to tell me? I said, no. I don't have anything to tell you. So after that, a few months later down the road, her daughter, who was in her 20s, had a severe stroke. And they really didn't expect her to make a full recovery. So when she came back to work, we were in this little room, and I was filling out some paperwork. So I was facing the wall sitting at this table. And I spoke her name, and I heard this, And I said her name, and I said, listen, I know you and I don't get along. We have our differences. I said, but I want you to know that I'm very sorry about your daughter. And I am going to be praying for her, and I'm going to get my church to pray for her too. And with that, the spirit broke. Whatever it was broke. I could just feel it break, and she started to weep and to cry. And she was like, oh, would you please pray for her? I said, yes, I will pray for her, and I will have my church pray for her. Well, after that, she slowly got around me, and, of course, her attitude towards me changed and and all those type of things, and other opportunities came, and we went to different work areas, and then I had an opportunity to move out and go into two places, one of two places. So I chose to go one direction. She was working in the other direction. But she came to me in tears, and she says, Kelly, please don't go to that work area because of me. You know I, will not, I, I won't treat you badly. You know I like you. And, I will not. and she had tears, and I, I told her, I said, listen, you know me well enough to know that I make decisions after I pray about it. I said, and I've prayed about it, and I feel to go this direction, and it has nothing to do with you. And Down the road, I actually saw why God took me the other direction, and it did have nothing to do with her. And then later, we were going down the hallway, walking together, talking, and she stopped me. She says, Kelly, I have something to say to you. I said, okay. She says, I want you to know that I am very sorry for the way I treated you years ago. I don't know why I did it. She says, but I want you to know that I consider you one of my closest friends now. And so when I retired, they had a party for me. She had already retired. They had a party for me. Um, And she came. And she sat at the table with me. And we are still friends on Facebook. Uh, A group of us got together for breakfast quite a while ago. She came. Friendly. Everything was nice. You know, and if I saw her today, I would hug her, tell her I was glad to see her. But that's just how God changed it. Because I refused to do evil for evil.
So I'm going to give you the seven commandments in here. Next one. This is to believers. Love each other sincerely with action. Be boiling hot in our worship of God and be generous to the family of God. To unbelievers, do not take revenge and bless your enemies. Be sympathetic and joyful with others. Be at peace with everyone as much as you can. I didn't get to all of these, but I will send something out with notes on those. And finally, his last verse is 21. Never let evil defeat you, but defeat evil with good. See, Paul would not write that, and he's writing to believers, if there wasn't a possibility of evil defeating us. So we need to be aware of that, that evil is there, and it can affect us so that we will want to be evil back. And as kingdom people, there's no place for evil in the kingdom. There just isn't. So let's pray. Father, we know, we know that, that these commandments are, are kingdom living. We understand that, kingdom living. But Father, we also don't even see at times that we are doing things that don't belong in the kingdom. Father, we can be really not discerning of who we are at times. I pray, Father, just as you are a good dad, that you would train us and that you would point out things and that you would care for us and grow us up, Lord, in all the different areas. Um, But, Father, that we would know how to live in the kingdom and it would flow out of us, producing more good on this earth and in the earth and in the kingdom beyond. In Jesus' name, amen.